going to continue our sermon series, You Asked For It. It makes me chuckle when I say that. Uh, and today, Pastor Rex is going to be answering, Are We Living in the Last Days? Well, hello, everyone. A warm greeting to all of you, and thanks for being in worship. Well, we're counting down these topics that you voted on, things that you wanted to hear addressed out of the Bible, and it's really interesting. They almost get more complex as we go. Uh, Today, the topic is the one you voted as the fourth most requested one, and that is, are we living in the last days. Now, before we just jump into that and begin to unpack it, let's kind of address a a technical issue, and I'm concerned that if I don't do this, that some of you real Bible buffs will uh, remind me of it later, and and you'll be all, um, you know, distracted through the whole message. Here's the deal. Way back in the Old Testament, a prophet named Joel, he's got a book named after him, his, uh, the essence of his prophecy is there. And in chapter 2 of Joel, Joel talked about a time when God would do something extraordinary with his people. He would pour his spirit out on them. Well, later, hundreds of years later, in fact, just after Jesus' ministry had wrapped up on earth and the church was getting kicked off, you can read about this in Acts chapter 2. Simon Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and He quoted from Joel. You can read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And here's what Peter said in that powerful gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. He said, in the last days, God says, and he's quoting Joel here. Now remember, a book that was written hundreds of years earlier. I will pour out my spirit on all people. And Peter goes on to say, look, what you're seeing, everyone, what you're experiencing here is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. In other words, the last days has begun. So it is technically accurate to say from the Bible that for the last 2,000 years, we've been living in the last days. I know that seems a little weird, doesn't it? But technically, that's the truth. That's the case. So let's just agree on something up front. When I say, and I'm going to say that phrase, I'm going to ask that question throughout the sermon, are we living in the last days? Let's just agree together up front that what we're really asking is, since we already know the answer to that, right, biblically, yes, we're living in the last days. Let's agree that what we're really asking in, are we living in the last of the last days? Okay, is that a deal? At all of our locations, let's just agree to that. That's really the question we're asking. So when I say, are we living in the last days, you know what I mean, right? Are we living in the last of the last days? And you know what? I can understand why you would ask that question. Because when you look around the world at all the things going on, we just kind of wonder, is this the end times? You look at the rise of ISIS, an unprecedented violence in terrorist groups. You look at epidemics gone wild, viruses out of control. When you think about the fact that more Christians have been martyred for their faith in Jesus in the last 50 years 
than in the previous 1950 years combined. When you look at all those factors, you just have to wonder, are we really living in the last days? It's an important question. Now let me give you some statistics on this because the Bible says a lot about it. I find this extraordinary. Did you know that one out of every 30 verses in the Bible talk about this? Really, really do. One out of every 30 on average. Next, the New Testament contains over 300 references to either the second coming of Jesus, the last days, the end times, the end time judgment, some of those topics, at least 300 references. And did you also know this? That out of the 27 books that are in our New Testament, in your Bible, did you know that all but four of those books talk about this issue of the last days? It's incredible. So there's lots of information, and obviously, I can't <clears throat> go to all those verses and unpack of all of that for us today. But I think what we're really asking is, what we're really asking is, what time is it? What time is it? Because let's acknowledge, if it's about that time, you know, Jesus talked about the cry at midnight coming. <laughs> Behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him, and he compared his coming again to the cry at midnight, totally unexpected. If it's just moments before midnight, <clears throat> then that's one thing. But, oh, come on, if it's, if it's, you know, like something over here, if it's like that, then that's going to change our perspective. It's going to change the way most people see time and the way they live. So the question is, what time is it? Now, some of you are looking really serious like that. You're going, oh, my gosh, he's talking about the end of the world. So let me tell you a little story. Reverend Finn and Reverend Ollie were friends. They lived in a little town they were both pastors of little churches that were not only in the same small town, but they were literally across the street from each other. And one day, Reverend Sven put up a sign in front of the church building that said, turn around before it's too late. Not to be outdone, Reverend Ollie across the street put up a sign that was even more ominous in front of his building that said, the end is near. And about that time, some students came along in their car, and they were just having a good time and yucking it up and laughing with the windows down and the music blaring. And they saw these signs and said, you're crazy. These religious fanatics always talking about the end of the world. That's ridiculous. And they just kept on going. And as they made the turn right after they passed the churches, there, you could hear the screeching of brakes and then a huge splash Reverend Sven looked at Reverend Ollie and they said, maybe we should have just put up a sign that said, bridge out ahead. <laughs> That's horrible, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. But people want to know the answer to this question. Well, it's certainly not a new question. Back in Matthew 24, Jesus was on the Mount of Olives where he often went to pray and we read there in Matthew 24, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Now, here's their question. They're looking for some insider information. Tell us, they said, 
When will this happen? Jesus had just told them there's going to come a day when not one stone will be left on another. And, and <clears throat> he started talking about some coming events, not only that occurred in A.D. 70, but some events that would occur even much, much later. When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They wanted this information. And if you read all of Matthew 24 or the correlating chapters in the other synoptic gospels, Luke 21, Mark 13, which is called the little apocalypse, <coughs> what you'll see there in these passages is Jesus did a beautiful job explaining some of the things that would occur, but when it came down to telling exactly the time, he didn't really tell us much about when. It's almost a little frustrating. And so if your question is really, are we living in the last days, my most honest answer to that is, I don't know. Maybe. Could be. I've certainly studied this topic for uh, many, many years. I've read literally, no exaggeration, dozens of books on eschatology. For those of you who were with us several months ago, you know that we walked through the whole book of Revelation and in one of those messages, the seventh one, we looked at four major different perspectives on how the world will end. But here's the bottom line for me. As I read Scripture, I believe that God has told us to be ready and that his coming will be unexpected and it could be at any moment. As far as I can tell... There are few, if any, signs left to be fulfilled, and those that might be left could be fulfilled rather quickly, actually, by God's amazing power. You say, but pastor, hasn't every Christian generation believed that the end was near? Hasn't every generation of Christians said the exact same thing that you just said? So what makes our generation different from all the others throughout 2,000 years. Well, I want to point you now to some of the unique biblical indications that the end may indeed be near. I'm just going to touch on three. There are literally dozens. But let me just hit three that many eschatologists believe are unique to our generation and time. <clears throat> First of all, the regathering of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. Now, if you look up these two references right here, and I believe they're in your notes, Jeremiah and Isaiah, they talk about a time <clears throat> when God's people would be gathered from the four corners of the earth back to the promised land, back to the land God had given them. And we see that happening in unprecedented ways today. Back in 1900, there were approximately 40 thousand Jewish people in the land of Palestine. 40,000. Just after World War II, there were approximately half a million Jews living in that same land. But today, there are 6.3 million Jewish people living in the land of Israel. They've come from all over the world. They've come from Russia and Ethiopia. They have come from Europe and America. It's happening, and it, it seems to be <clears throat> the fulfillment of prophecy. A second factor we could look at is the reclamation of the land of Israel. 
Now, when you read early in the Bible, you see that Israel is described as a land of plenty, a land that's prosperous and fertile. The phrase was flowing with milk and honey. Remember that phrase? But through the centuries, what you see is it became desolate, desiccated, and barren. So it had a very different feel about it. Again, back in about 1900, to use that as a reference point to see the contrast. There were about 17,000 trees in the land of it. You say, how could anybody know that? Well, the reason we know that is because it was ruled over by the Turks for a period of time. And one of the measures they used in their taxation was they taxed you based on the number of trees. And so we know that at one period, about 1900, there were about 17,000 trees in the land. So the people figured out a simple tax reduction method, cut down trees. (coughs) And so that's what they did. (coughs) And so they were down to 17,000. Today, there are over 450 million trees in the land of Israel. 100 years ago, the valley of Megiddo, the the plain of Megiddo, the valley known as the Valley of Esdraelon, where many believe the Battle of Armageddon will be fought, it was a malaria-infested marshland 100 years ago. Today, it is one of the highest-producing, food-producing pieces of land per square foot anywhere in the world. And it seems to be the fulfillment of this prophecy in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel says here, if we can get this prophecy up here, well, let me just read it right here. It is Ezekiel 36, 35a. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. And so that seems to be exactly what is happening. It's becoming fertile again. It's becoming lush and abundant. A third thing we can pay attention to from Scripture is the rebirth of Israel as a nation in 1948. There's an interesting prophecy in Ezekiel 37, particularly verse 11, where God prophesies about raising these dead bones back to life. It's a, it's a wonderful prophecy about this nation that has kind of faded away and coming back to life. After 70 A.D., The nation of Israel was devastated by the Roman Empire. The the temple was raised in Jerusalem, torn down, and Jesus, part of Jesus' prophecy came true then. The kind of one stone not left upon another kind of thing. And the Jewish people were scattered all over the known world for the next 18 centuries. Well, around 1900, when a few people began to suggest they might become a nation again, People scoffed at that, even mocked at the idea. They dismissed it because no nation had ever been reconstituted after that kind of period of time. But on May the 14th, 1948, roughly three years after World War II and the Holocaust, a group of people in Palestine declared they were a nation again. And the dry bones began to resurrect after 1,900 years. Amazing. Now connect that with Jesus' words in Matthew 24, where he says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. 
Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Now, throughout history, Israel has been designated in many places and times by the fig tree. And many people believe, many scholars today believe that this is a reference to what is happening in our own day, in our own generation. Jesus is saying here that those who witness these dead bones coming back to life, those who witness the return of Israel as a nation, that generation is going to see the return of Jesus Christ. Now, speculate with me for a moment on this. Let's suppose that we take the lifespan that's given to us in the Bible, pretty good source, Psalm 90, verse 10, where the psalm says the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. So let's take that, uh, our lifespan, our life expectancy is 70 to 80 years. If you take that and add it to the birth of the nation of Israel in 1948, think about what you get. It takes you somewhere between 2018 and 2028. It can't go further than that. And Jesus said that this generation, this people, this group that sees this happen will not pass away until all of these things have been fulfilled. So if Jesus doesn't return by 2028, those of you who are still around in 2030 can say, well, well, they had the wrong interpretation on that. So are we living in the last days? Maybe. Could be. I mean, this is some pretty mysterious prophecy that seems to be fulfilled right here before our very eyes. Consider what the Bible has to say in 2 Peter 3 about this. This is a rather lengthy passage, but let's look at it. This is one of the key passages that talks about the last days. Know this first day of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that the word of God existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You say, is that day going to happen soon? Well, then we come to verse 8, a very interesting verse. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Very interesting. Maybe the placement of that verse there, God is just saying, look, slow down here. I live outside of time. I'm not bound by time like those on earth. With me, the timing's going to be different. It may seem slow to you, but it's different with me. One day is like a thousand years. By the way, there's a group of serious and very erudite Jewish scholars who have a theory about this verse and 
others that civilization on earth is going to last for 7,000 years. They go back 4,000 years B.C., about the time of Adam, by their calculations. And from there to the time of Jesus is four days. That's 4,000 years. And then from the time of Jesus to today is another 2,000 years. That's two more days. So we've got six days or 6,000 years by this calculation of one day being as 1,000 years. And some of you are probably cheering right now going, all right, thank God. That means we got 1,000 years to go. Well, not really. Because that last 1,000 years in the calculation is a time called the millennium. And the world as we know it is going to kind of shut down and shift when the Lord returns just before the millennial reign on earth. So I hope you're still breathing. But by those calculations, that means we're about right there. Just ready for the cry at midnight. I hope you're still breathing, okay? You say, well, is that the case? Is it right at the door? Is it going to happen any moment? I don't know. But I do know this, verse 9, as we just keep moving through this text, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient, patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I think of the, about that verse. Don't build your theology on this. It's just my imagination. I think of God in heaven, Jesus at his right hand, and waiting patiently. And finally, the day comes, and the Father says, Son, it's time. And Jesus is saying, this is awesome, because he's the bridegroom coming for his bride, and he's excited and just before he mounts his white horse to return, the father said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, let's wait a little longer. You know, if we wait just a little longer, there's a few more people we can save. And that's the way I see the spirit of that verse. God is going, look, my patience is amazing. I don't want anybody to perish, and my own belief is that the only reason it's taken this long is because of God's amazing patience. That's why he's delayed, and I believe he's delaying for some of you. I believe he's delaying for some of you. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to come to repentance and come to know him. But you need to also know this, if you're just dead set today, if you're one of these dead ringers and you're going to find out when it's going to happen no matter what, I, I just want to remind you of this next verse, verse 10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That's my emphasis right there. I highlighted that for you, like a thief. Now, how does a thief come? Does he call ahead? You say, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. Look, could you have all your money and all your valuables out and convenient for me. I'm probably going to show up maybe 3 a.m.-ish, something like that. No. It's surprise. It's secretive. It's stealth, right? In which the heavens will pass away with a roar 
and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's how it's going to play out. So what do we learn from this passage about what it's going to look like when the end is near? Well, quickly, I want to look at three societal signs. Now, we've looked at some unique biblical things. Three societal signs that the end is near. You could get these not only from the passage we just read, but from other eschatological passages in the Bible. First of all, we know from Peter that near the end times, near the last days, people are going to be distracted by life. They're just going to be going about their life, not thinking about God, not thinking about the end or anything like that. They're going to be scoffing, have a nonchalant, ah, that's a bunch of baloney. Where is his coming? It's not happening. I just want to say to you, if that's where you are, it's a pretty dangerous spot to be. We all need to ask ourselves, how much is my life caught up in the things of this world, and how much is it focused on the kingdom of God? Now, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. Whether we're living in the last days or not, I know we're living in your last days. You know why I know that? Because the Bible says that your life is like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's ephemeral. It's passing away. I know from Scripture that this earth is not even really our home. Our citizenship is in heaven if we're Jesus followers. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're just passing through down here. I know for you this is the time right here. I have no doubt about that. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And my word to you would simply be, why would you get so enamored with this world? Think about this now. When you're going to live 99.9999999999 ad infinitum of your life somewhere else. Why would you get so enamored with this world? when you're not going to be here very long. A second sign the Apostle Peter gave to us about the last days is people are going to forget God. Over and over again, this is in Scripture in these passages. People are going to pull away from God. They're going to drift. There's going to be this apostasy going on and people kind of falling away and not giving time to God. You say, well, is that playing out? Well, it's interesting. In some places, the gospel is flourishing. Do you know that in China today, there will be 35,000 new believers in Jesus Christ just today in China? And of the 1.3 billion population of China, there is now a solid 9.8% of the Chinese population that is Christian. That is amazing. The gospel is growing like a bandit there. It's unbelievable. But what about America? Story's pretty different, honestly. 
Everybody acknowledges that church growth has flatlined in America. Now, you wouldn't know that if this is the only church you've been a part of. or you know, there, God has just put amazing grace on this church and on certain other churches around the nation. It's a small percentage, and we're still seeing people come to faith in Christ in significant numbers. But that's not the general story. Most people would acknowledge the church is basically declining in America, not around the world. But in America, here are some statistics I think that are very sobering and should wake all of us up. These have been well-publicized, well-documented. You've heard demographers talk about the builders and the busters, right, and the boomers. You've heard all this. So the builders are the name that's been given to the generation that was born 1927 to 1945. That's Debbie's mom and dad barely made that cut. They're youngins. They just barely made that uh, uh, some few of you may be in that demographic, maybe your grandparents, parents, great-grandparents, depending on how old you are. Now, notice, here's the statistic I want you to focus on. 65% of that generation were Bible-driven Jesus followers. Amazing. Churches thriving all over the country. I mean, the gospel was growing, denominations growing by a million people. Unbelievable statistics back in that generation. The builder, 65%. But then the boomers come along. Now, I barely made this group, okay? This is the group between 1946 and 1964. After World War II, there's a baby boom, and all these babies are being born. Well, guess what? Things are changing in America. There's a lot of financial prosperity and growth, but spiritually, honestly, it's not a good picture. And about 35% of the boomer generation are Bible-driven Jesus followers. And then along come the busters. Now, my wife made this group. My wife is in this group, okay? Born between 65 and 83. Notice, are you noticing a trend here? We've gone from 65 to 35 to 16% Bible-driven Jesus followers. And I'll show you one more generation, one more demographic the Bridgers, also often known as the Millennials. Their dates are 84 to the present. 4% are Bible-driven Jesus followers. By the way, if you ever, if you, if you even needed some sort of incentive, some sort of motivation to put an emphasis on reaching young people, this ought to be it, Right? This is why we are maniacal about kids' celebration ministry. This is why we are so passionate about reaching teenagers for Jesus Christ. Because the statistics aren't looking real good. And I'll just leave you with this thought here and quickly move on. I'd love to, to hang out here and talk to you about this. But if our nation, think about this, if our nation looks like it does, and by the way, this boomer generation are currently the group that are the presidents, most of the CEOs, most of the leaders of major organizations are in this boomer group, just age-wise, okay? I'm just telling you the truth. And by the way, an extraordinary number of pastors are in the boomer group as well, like me, okay? If our nation looks like it does, when 35% of our leaders our Bible-driven Jesus followers, what is it going to look like when we get here? Just say it. 
Just saying. So it seems to be stacking up just the way the Bible described it. Peter said in the last days, people are going to forget God. They're going to drift away. Third, people are not going to be ready. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, it's going to be like this. Husband and wife sleeping in bed, one will be taken, one left. (laughs) Two men out in the field working, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women hanging out together, working together, one will be taken, one will be left. He said, therefore, be ready. You don't know the day or the hour. So I want to say to you again, whether we're living in the last days or not, I know I know we're living in your last days. The Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. Now, some of you are excited right now. You're going, Pastor Rick, let's break open the book of Revelation and let's get our charts out and let's begin to figure it out and let's spend all of our time. Let's not talk about anything else. Let's figure it all out. And you know what? If you want to spend your money buying books from people who are trying to scare you and alarm you and show you cool things and talk about blood moons and uh, computer chips and all that stuff. Knock yourself out. But when you make your chart, this is all I ask. This is all I ask. I have no problem with that per se, but this is all I ask when you create your chart. Just make sure you put it in pencil, okay? Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So what are we supposed to do about all this? What are you going to do with the time you have? I mean, my goodness, this is some pretty sobering stuff, in my opinion. What are you going to do with the time you have? Because In many ways, from many angles, it seems to be looking like we're living in the last of the last days. Our time is limited. There's a window, but it's closing fast. As we close today, I quickly want to just mention three things that Scripture would have us do. 1 Peter 4, 7 is an amazing passage, the verses that follow. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So here's the question I want to pose as we wrap up. How should we live since we're in our last days? It may be the last days. But I know we're living in our last days. Peter says here, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The word prayer is very important. We look at our world as though it's reality. We get all excited about what we can see here, and we say, ooh, it's reality. Hey, did you know what? Jojo Fletcher, the new bachelorette. Woo, Monday night. Woo, baby. There's going to be a two-hour premiere of the bachelorette. I can hardly wait. Now, that's reality. You say, hey, let's watch the Kardashians. Let's keep up with the Kardashians and all their latest escapades because that's reality. The one thing I can tell you about reality TV is it's not reality. Prayer gets you in touch with the true reality. What is eternal? 
when we're focused on the natural world, you're going to think that what you see is all that is real. But when you begin to pray, when you begin to pray, you're going to say, hey, there's a spiritual world out there. And God's allowed me to connect with it through prayer. So, what are three things we should do? Here they are, real quick. Number one, in these last days, I need to think clearly. Think clearly. Now, here's how I know we're not thinking real clearly. According to national surveys and opinion polls that are done, 62% of the American people believe, get this now, 62% believe Jesus is going to come back one day. But only 8% are actually living for him. Does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, I'll tell you right now, I I believe that Jesus is coming back. Boy, he's going to split the sky open. Were you living for him? I, I haven't given that one much thought lately. That doesn't make any sense. That person is not thinking clearly. We need to think clearly. He goes on to say in verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. A second thing I would say to you, number two, is I need to focus on my relationships since I'm living in my last days. Now, here's, here's why that's important. Here's why that's important. Why would Peter tell us to do that? Why would Peter point us to relationships? Here's why. Because as far as I can tell in the Bible, there's only two things that are going to survive this world, two things, the Word of God and people. Do you know that? Everything else is going to be destroyed. The Word of God and people are going to survive. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. And people are going to go on. So when we invest in relationships, when we invest in meaningful friendships, that's why we urge you to get into small groups. <coughs> that's when you begin to figure life out. That's when you begin to go deep with people. You build relationships that will go on into eternity. He goes on to say in verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the third thing Peter says to do, I need to discover my gift and start serving. Did you know God's given you a gift? He's given you special grace gifts in your life that are not just to be used to make a living and better life for ourselves. That's fine. God certainly wants us to enjoy life here. I know that to be true, according to 1 Timothy 6. But he wants you to use that gift to advance his kingdom and his gospel. So if your gift is technology, man, do we have a plan for your life. We've got so many ways you can plug in here at the church. You say, I love kids. I am a kid magnet. Wow, do we have a plan for your life. Kids celebration is a place where you can flourish and thrive as you invest in the lives of children and help teach them about Jesus. You say, you know what? What I really love to do is just talk to people about God's word and lead and facilitate discussion. Boy, do we have a plan for you. Wow. 
And the thing is, the most important thing any of us could be doing is investing God's word into people because those are the only two things that are going to make it. God's word and people going forever. Let's finish the passage. Verse 11. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think we live in the most exciting day ever to be alive. And I personally believe that God's given us a window here. This is just my belief. I believe God's given us a window here, just a window, but it's closing fast. And that's why we are praying that God would allow us to share this gospel with the 600,000 plus people in the Capital District. That's why we'd love to see a small group in every community of this Capital Region with people meeting around God's Word and doing life together. That's why we would love to see new campuses started because it's through communities coming together, worshiping God together, hearing the word preached together. It's then that people really learn how to walk with Jesus and, and follow him. I believe God is doing amazing things in our area, but I believe that the time is right here. I believe that. And I don't want to waste one day I don't want to waste one moment. We've got to serve like crazy. We've got to work like crazy. We've got to pray like crazy. We've got to share and invest our lives like crazy because the time, the time is incredibly short. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Father, Thank you for the challenge of this hour. You alone know the exact moment in time of your return when you shut down the doors to history and open up the doors to eternity. And I thank you for that, Lord, because it leaves a little mystery and suspense in it for us. But I'm also grateful you've told us to live ready every single day. Help us to be that kind of a people understanding that our life is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. God, in these days, I finally ask this, that you would help us, by your grace, to share this gospel with everybody in this capital region. All those who don't know you, that they'd come to understand what you've done for them through the cross and the empty tomb. They'd come to know there's a God that loves them, that died for them, and has an amazing plan for their life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor X. We would like to continue our time of worship through our tithes and offerings. If I could invite the ushers to come forward. And while they do that, just a little reminder, 